Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Well, I'm hanging on by a thread. I don't know about y'all, but um, so I don't know if I told y'all last week, but um, one of the Aspire speakers got sick. Did I tell y'all that? And so I had to go on the road. And so, um, yeah, so I jumped on an airplane on Thursday uh, morning. I went to Indiana and I was in Indiana speaking all weekend, um, a different place every night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, spent the night. Yesterday, I was studying in the hotel <laughs> and I was studying on the airplane. If you could see my notes, there is no way anybody can teach off this mess. I'm, I'm telling you, I was this right here is lined paper that I asked the guy sitting on the airplane next to me if I could even have. Like, it, it's crazy town. Um, but, God's good. Last night, I was so tired, I was cross-eyed. By the time I got home at 6.30, I was about to have a meltdown. And I was like, God, I cannot do this. I don't even know what I'm doing. And Daniel is not easy. Like, he is wearing me out. Daniel is wearing me out. <clears throat> and so I just studied until I went to sleep. I finally said, Lord, you're going to have to teach me in my sleep. And so uh, y'all laugh about that. But I don't know if you've ever done this studying, David, because um, I woke up two different times in the night. And guess what my mind was thinking about? Daniel. I think he was teaching me in my sleep because every time I opened my eyes, I was thinking about an issue with Daniel. And then this morning I got up at 545 looking back over this stuff. And so I what I need is I need some uh, power. So I decided on the fly, I threw David up here. He's like, oh my gosh, Shannon, we're going to sing a worship song and I'm going to lead you. What do you think about that? All right, let's go. Stand up with me because I need this song and maybe so do you. Oh, we're going to put the words up if we're any good. We'll see. I love you, Lord.
darkest nights you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful necessarily about the goodness of Daniel it's about the goodness of God the greatness of God the sovereignty of God that you are in control despite what everything looks like you are not taken by surprise you are fully in control and what you ask of us is trust trust me I'm faithful endure Endure to the bitter end and don't lose faith. And if you trust me, even in your brokenness, I will work in you personally and I will use you for a purpose to impact the time of life that I have placed you in. And so God, I just thank you that you love us, that you've saved us, that you use broken people and that we won't stay broken, that one day we will be redeemed and we will have a glorious hope and we will be home no longer in exile but we will be home in celebration in that promised land having the greatest dinner with the finest wine and with the meat with the bones still in it and we will be with our people and we will be worshiping our God and so I look forward to that God I pray that you would empower me when I am the weakest that you would give me wisdom that I don't even know I have and that you will teach me through my own voice I sure love you. I thank you for worship in whatever form, last minute, all of us together, lifting up our voices to proclaim that you are good. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
did that five minutes before this for him, and he's not a pianist necessarily, right? So... All right. Okay, y'all ready? Here we go, ready or not. <laughs> I'm going to finish with some thoughts uh, from last week that I'm not sure. I don't even know if I said or if I got finished, but they're worth hearing again. Um, when one becomes a Christian, they know that they are known by God the Creator. When they finally hear their name, that call from God, they realize, I am known, I am seen, and I am heard. This Shannon on the inside, this consciousness inside me, was designed for a spiritual relationship. God put eternity in the hearts of men. A deep knowing, a deep connection, and an experience that isn't always tangible. It's what Isaiah 43.1 is talking about when it says... Um, I have called you by name, you are mine. God enters into the conversations in your head telling you who you really are and that you belong and that you have a purpose. Listen, that is, that is the most important right there. I travel all over the United States and this is one of the main things right now that I'm talking about is that I am able to use my story um, to make them understand that we have some essentials in life that we can count on. Um, I tell them my story, which is, you know, very uh, emotional. But then I tell them about going to the counselor, which y'all have heard before, and um, the fact that I have what I call PTS, maybe D, I don't know, PTS, and... Um, you know, I have a hard time with excitement or experiencing joy or looking forward to something because I always feel like the next, that hammer's going to drop. And um, I'm afraid like if I celebrate, something bad's going to happen, which is wackadoodle, but that's how I feel. And so my counselor looked at me one day and she said, well, Shannon, what if it did? And I went, well, it, it really kind of already has. I mean, I can't think of living through much worse, honestly. Um, and she said, well, are you making it? And I said, well, yes. And she says, so what does that tell you? It tells you you have what it takes to make it. And so at the end of the day, no matter what comes, you've got the goods. And so that's how I start. And then I begin to tell them things I taught you last year from the book of John. What are the essentials and what was Jesus trying to tell his men when he says in me, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So what goods do they have? It really is what we've been talking about. Number one, know who you are. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, if you believe that he is God and that he paid your debt on that cross and that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and when he paid that debt, 
and he rose from the dead, that he offers us eternal life. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are born from above, John says. We are born anew. We are born in the spirit and we are a part of the family of God. And that is what he is telling. That's who you are. You are a child of God. And he says, at the end of this long and dusty road, I want you to know the end of the story. At the end of your exile, you can be for sure that there is a room with your name on it in my father's house. That I have prepared a room for you. And that you are in our family and we will be together. And he then says, and by the way, you are not alone. I have not abandoned you. You are not orphans. I have invited you into the deepest relationship you could ever experience in your life. The triune God. As I am in the Father, you will be in me. You are not alone. I am there. How? Because God sent the helper, the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And so we're not alone and we're empowered by the living God. Why? Because out of that identity, we have a purpose. And that purpose is to testify and to testify about who God is and what he's done for us. And Revelations 21 says, the way you overcome the enemy is the blood of the lamb, which is the gospel and the power of your testimony. And your testimony can be one of brokenness. I used to think all the time that I was working so hard to pour into women. And now I've realized that what God was calling me to do is to pour out for them in brokenness. And so that is what we have a purpose. And your purpose comes out of who you know you are. And who, has with, who is with you and what you've been called to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that only you can do. And this is the knowledge that Daniel knew, the faith he possessed to live in exile with only the smallest articles of remembrance from the temple to look at. Only tiny little reminders of the magnificent glory of God and the words of the prophets to look to. I got to thinking about that. In our exile, what articles have been left in this world today? Little articles, small things to remind man of the glory of God. You're looking at them. Us. Are we not the temples of God? Is your body not a temple of God? Does the glory of God not dwell within us? And we have been left here? I find it so funny. It, it is true that Babylon had invaded Jerusalem. But in many ways, God used Daniel and his friend, friends to invade Babylon. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, Babylon invaded Jerusalem, but they have no idea that Jerusalem, that God has just invaded them through Daniel and his buddies to show his superiority on the world, instruments in the hands of God. We've been indwelt by the spirit of the living God, instruments in the hands of God to invade the world. Do you realize we are on the offensive? We are not defensive. What did Jesus say to Peter at Caesarea Philippi? 
I wish that you could go there because it is magnificent. Can I just say, if you've ever been been to Caesarea Philippi, um, you're there and behind you is a massive rock face with all kinds of carved out places where they worship their pagan gods. Um, there is the opening of a cave that is called the Gates of Hell, which at one point, water came rushing out, so you heard this roaring coming out of the mouth of that cave. It's where they worship the god Pan, um, half man, half goat, all kinds of nonsense was going on. It was a place that made uh, Las Vegas uh, look like nothing. It was like Vegas on steroids, so it wasn't the place you wanted your young Jewish boys to go to. It was actually the place where Roman soldiers went to when they got time off, if you know what I mean. Okay, and, and so Jesus says, who do people think that I am? And Peter says, what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says on this rock, so on that truth and on him as the rock, but they're standing in front of the biggest rock called the gates of hell, this pagan world. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are defensive. They keep you out. And he's saying, no, you won't keep me out because we're going to storm those gates with the gospel and we're going to snatch people from the gates of hell. We are on the offensive and that is what we are here to do. We storm the gates of hell by laying our lives down. Isn't that just opposite of what you would ever think? By denying ourselves, our fleshly desires, and by picking up a cross instead of a sword. I swear, I should write down everything I want to do and just do the absolute opposite. <laughs> Is anybody with me? Because I'm real quick at times to pick up that sword. And I don't know about you, but my sword is right here in my mouth. Uh, right? And it's so quick. And But that's not how we're going to... Uh, win people over. We don't just have the prophets either, by the way, like Daniel had. We have the full, complete revelation of Scripture. And you know what that Scripture tells me? Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ugh, that makes me cry for some reason. I have no idea why he allowed me, of all people, to do what I do. It's so humbling. And it is pressure. It really is. Because we're just people. That's all we are. That love God and have an ability to tell a really good story. And we choose to tell his. Because it's the most marvelous story in the world. You who God made, you are who God made you to be. You are unique. You are a beloved child of the Lord. You have a unique purpose for your life that no one else has had or will ever have. Unless we are grounded in who God made us to be, the way we see ourselves will easily morph into an illusion. The truth of who we are will still be there, but it will be hidden under the veneer of lies. Last week we talked about the names that the world desires to give you. 
and the fact that they want to erase your true identity, which is a revelation. It is an image as an image bearer of Yahweh, of Jehovah. And they want to give you different names. But we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. Remember Daniel and his friends were removed from their homes, away from all they knew, away from all other identifiers, family, friends, reputations, jobs, victories, failures. They were left with just me. Have you ever been left with just me? Who is me? Have you ever been stripped so bare that it was just you standing there? Have you spent much time thinking about who that is? And remember, they were the best of the best in their world. And they had been stripped completely down and they were starting over. I could not help but think about Zach in that scenario. Coming out of here, the best of the best. I remember one of his teammates after Zach passed away described football this way. He said, it is like the great Babylon came through our communities and took the biggest, the best, the biggest, the best, and what do you say? Biggest, baddest, and best. And they took them off to exile in Babylon. And they stripped us down. And they started over and they re-educated us. And they used us. And then when they were finished and we had nothing left to give, they threw us back to communities. And instead of being able to lead them, we needed them. And I just went, Ugh. But once they were isolated, Babylon attempted to re-educate and reprogram them. Isn't that what a lot of situations, sports, college, military, the stripping down? Um, But for us, have you ever gotten to the place where you looked up and you felt like all your purpose went out the door? I I can remember times like that. Feeling like that? Like, who, who am I? Just me. Stripped down, just Shannon. Because very often we get our purpose or identity in what we do. Or what we produce. And all of a sudden, when none of that works, you're just standing there going, who the heck am I? Um, I'm divorced. I used to be a family of four. In a moment, I woke up sitting in a home I didn't just go through empty nest. I mean, that's rough enough. Some of y'all are crying in your soup because of that. And I remember it. I remember what that feels like. And I remember crying over AJ's salad because Hillary had gone to college. Because every day I would pick her up from high school or I'd pick her up. I'd meet her at AJ's because she had half days. I don't even know how they get enough credits. Nobody gave us half days. This chick had half days junior year and senior year. And we met at AJ's for salad bar and iced tea, right? And it was so awesome. And I can remember the first time I went to that salad bar without her. The emptiness I felt and just like, oh, you know, what now? But I had other things going on, you know? But I remember here I was. I, I, I was divorced. I went from a family of four. All of a sudden, it wasn't just emptiness. I woke up in a house by myself. And my son was gone. And Hillary was away. And there were times at the beginning I thought, you know, 
how am I going to be in ministry in this mess? So who am I outside of that? And how am I going to make a living? And what am I doing? And what did the last 25 years freaking mean? Oh, I said freaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just how I talk. I'm sorry. You know, and now what? Stripped down. Vulnerable. At that point, you've got to decide who you are and what is the anchor of your, who is the anchor of your soul? Which way are you going to go? They found themselves being told a different narrative, different truths. It reminded me of Moses, does it not? Who was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt, yet he still knew deep inside God made him for a purpose. He didn't understand it, and he did his best to ruin it. Did he not? To mess it up. And even when God spoke to him out of a burning bush, he made excuses at this point. But he couldn't deny God's presence in his life. He knew. By the way, how did he know? Because he had a mama who told him exactly who he was. She protected him until she couldn't protect him anymore. And then she put him in a basket. Do you all remember this story? Okay. And then Pharaoh's daughter found him. And then the sister was waiting in the wings because, listen, she was smart. She knew what she was doing. And she went and said, you know, you're going to need someone to take care of that, baby. I know just the right person. And then the mom got to do it. So why do you think he still related and thought he was the leader of his people later on in life? So interesting how Pharaoh probably thought that he was going to use Moses to contain these people. And instead, God used Moses to free them. Psych. Right? I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar thinks that these young Hebrew men are going to contain the Hebrew people in his empire if he can rewire them. Yet God would use them in many ways to save them as a remnant and allow them to eventually come home. The point is this, purpose is your identity in action. That's it. Purpose is your identity in action. I think you need to sit down and think for quite some time. Who are you? You. Who does God say that you are? And ask him to show you your purpose. It's just living it out. It's just living out your identity. Wherever God places you. I can tell you right now, I never intended to do what I do. <laughs> no way. I mean, it really started when I walked in, a, as a young person, I walked in a high school and told the principal, I hear you have a Bible uh, position open and a Bible teacher position open, and I truly believe I'm your girl. Who falls for that? And he did. And that started a journey. I always had a love for the Bible. Always. I knew who I was. My parents told me who I was and everybody around me told me who I was. And they also told me there was nothing I could not do. And I believed them. And I took all of that and I just started teaching young people the Bible in a way that they could understand. In that moment, in that time, in that little high school in Phoenix, Arizona, that was it. And God was able to use that to impact those kids and then later on moving towards other things and opening other doors and just living out your purpose in your identity through uh, 
good times and through absolute brokenness. I can honestly tell you, I know my purpose because it would not matter if I was sitting at Joyride Tacos at a bar. I know y'all are appalled. Eating tacos at the bar, getting in conversations with strangers, always starting with politics these days, throwing in the Bible, and them going, what? I've never heard that before. I go, really? I said, you want to hear the story? And they're like, yeah. And then to be able to tell that narrative so they understand there's nothing new under the sun, that God is in control, and they go, wow. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm getting paid for it, if I'm not getting paid for it. What is going on, that is who God made me to be. And I will probably be that kind of teacher for the rest of my life. Do you understand? Who are you? Because I am telling you that your purpose is your identity in action. Let's keep going. Open up. Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel, I'm going to start in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has signed your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them among all All of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Oh, we're going to break that down. Abstaining from food. Now, I want to, I'm actually going to teach you one little point through what I believe was an error in my study. So in the, I think it's in the first verse where it says, and Daniel resolved. Okay. This is how difficult sometimes learning the Bible and especially teaching the Bible and being responsible in how you teach the Bible. um, This is how difficult it can be. In my Bible, when I looked at that word resolved, I had the cross-reference of 2 Corinthians 9-7. I wonder if you do.
It's so hard, you're going to have to put on your readers. You know you can't see that cross-reference. Okay? And so when you go to 2 Corinthians 9-7, here's the verse. It says, Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So each one must give what he believes in his heart. And so when you first look at that, you're like, oh, this is a conviction issue. This is, you know, this is a conviction of Daniel that he needs to abstain from this food. So that can go down a completely different rabbit hole to teach in that way. But the fact is that when you look at the words, when I sought advice from someone who is uh, way more brilliant than me, the two words are not the same. And really, I don't believe they should be cross-referenced because I don't think this is a conviction issue. I think this is an obedience to the law issue. And so, but do you see how dangerous that can be? And, and I, I literally went that down a whole rabbit trail about that issue before I pulled myself back. And this is the beauty of studying the Bible. Like sometimes we go too far and then someone comes in and says, no, but take a look at this and we pull back and there's not perfection in it. But just know I'm doing the absolute best that I can. But the word I think we need to truly pay attention to is not that word resolve. This is not a conviction issue. I do not believe. It's a faithful issue. Um, is the word defile. Because sometimes when you read commentaries, I think they go into such detail trying to come up with so many answers when the answer is just simply what you would have thought the minute you read the verse right at the beginning. That word defile is G-A-A-L. And it is denoting a religious defilement. So when you first read that, knowing the Jewish people and the law, what is the simplistic first thing you think of as to why he did not eat the king's food? He didn't want to defile or he didn't want to break, right? The covenant or the, the dietary laws from the law, right? I did not need to go down a rabbit hole for two and a half hours about this. But this is what we do. Right away, we see simplistically, he probably did not want to break the dietary laws. So in other words, the problem mainly was the meat, right? Probably the selection of meat, or more importantly, how it was prepared, okay? But then you have the issue with wine, Wine was not forbidden. If you go back to the laws, wine was not something they had to uh, refrain from. So why did he do that? Well, then with that information, you think, okay, maybe it's not just about the dietary laws. It is probably also because that the majority of the king's food was first offered to idols which would have included the wine because the wine was often poured over the altar of idols. And their belief was, right, that to do that in, in many, that was demonic. And then to eat that or to drink that was being involved with that kind of religious behavior. And they were uh, told not to do that. And so Daniel was refusing to be a part of that. Also, some people stretch it to even believe 
that it was something more personally motivated, that it was actually kind of a political statement, that to eat the king's provision was an acceptance of his lordship, and by refusing the food, he refuses the relationship. Eh. Here's the deal. They were not going to yield their moral or religious independence to the king. This was an area of identity that they refused to compromise. This was a temptation like Joseph had with Pharaoh's wife. Does that make sense? Okay, they, this was the, one of the most sacred things for the Jewish person because their dietary laws were their, their covenant relationship with their God. That's what it represented. And they weren't going to give this up. This was the identity they were going to hold on to, is they were going to stay true to their covenant by fulfilling the dietary laws or not participating in anything being given to idols. And can you imagine the temptation? You're in exile and a filet mignon shows up with twice-baked potatoes and cab. I don't know. But I mean, that is it. It is the same as when you are trying to stay pure and a hot cougar comes your way that is married to Pharaoh and you deny her. All right. Here is the thing. This is about their personal, their relationship with God holding on to that covenant. But it was private it was personal. We know it because who told us? Daniel, in his book. They didn't stage a food strike. They didn't post it on Instagram. Right? This was a private holding on to their relationship and covenant with God. They refused. They chose not to compromise in this area. They wore the clothes. They let their names be changed, although I don't think they use those names with each other. They were educated in all of the pagan wisdom of Babylon, but in this point right here, he's like, no. This is something I'm going to hold on to because this is my covenant relationship with God, and you can't have that. But listen, I'm sure Daniel asked God before he asked the chief steward, but Daniel still asked. Did you notice that? He asked the chief eunuch. He didn't demand. He didn't argue. He asked. The fact is he asked and God moved. It was God who moved. Daniel didn't push it. He didn't manipulate it. He didn't argue. He didn't create all kinds of ruckus. He asked. And when the chief official said no, okay, then he went, he went to the steward. Um, and he, listen, he understands that this is a hard scenario for the chief eunuch. Why? Because if he screws up, you guys, whose head is on the platter? His. Does he have Daniel's faith? No. Does he know Daniel's God? No. Now he likes Daniel. Because God gave him favor. I love this. Look at verse 9 and notice that. Let 
Do you see how it says God gave him favor? Look at verse 2. Aren't those words in that? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hands. Who's in control? It's God. And Daniel wants you to know that. He was, he was holding true to his covenant, but who was the one that had to move? God. Because Daniel can't convince anybody. God can. God is working in history and God is working in individual lives who have an impact on history. Daniel knew that he looked on favor with him, but he also knew what was at stake for this man. Isn't it interesting that Daniel's captors show favor on him and so do Joseph's? Right? Do you remember that? Joseph, I mean, Joseph was a huge force in history. God used him in a big way. I mean, for goodness sake, he was sold into slavery. Potiphar loved him. He was put in prison. The prison guards loved him. God gave favor to them. And I just wonder, what were they like? Can you imagine? I mean, what were Joseph and Daniel like? God used them in the most amazing way. For some reason, people were drawn to them. So Daniel went to the guard and asked, and he said, this time, let's have a test. Let's test this privately. Go ahead. Let's test it and see. And they ended up fatter than the rest. That's literally what it means. That would make me sad, but <laughs> if I ate a bunch of vegetables and I got fatter than everybody else, <laughs> that would tick me off, I'm going to tell you. But it, listen, it's not because they ate vegetables. I don't want you to think, and I know all diet, there's like a diet plan that's been based on this um, whole situation. Listen, I'm not knocking it. I mean, I think vegetables are hilarious and wonderful, but uh, I have a friend who is in um, the South. He used to be in Baton Rouge. He was trying to lose weight. His name's Brother D. And I went and I went to eat with him one night. He ordered this veggie plate. And if you're from the South, you'll get a kick out of this. That veggie plate came out and I looked at him and I go, Brother D., there is not one vegetable on that plate. Do you not understand? This, that's, that sweet potato casserole right there. Or that corn casserole. Or the carrots that have butter and sugar and everything. That is not a vegetable. Those are three helpings of dessert that you just put on your plate, right? So I don't want you to think that it's all because he chose, you know, vegetables, right? They, they were showing God's superiority in this, in the fact that it did not matter what they ate, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. They said, test God because he's going to show his superiority. That is what he is doing. It won't matter. We will stay faithful and he will provide. And so they ended up fatter than the other people. Verse 17 says that. What are the key words you think I'm going to look for in verse 17? He continues to what? Give. And God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Once again, we see those words that it is God that is moving. They are remaining faithful and they are remaining faithful in the big ones. 
and they are compromising where they can compromise, right? And do you understand, this is like being in a river, makes me think of the Mississippi River. You can die in the Mississippi River because I'm telling you the currents of that thing and the undertow, it's scary, but it's going a direction. And if you're swimming against it, this is what they're doing. They're swimming against the, the current of the culture. And you can, depending on what shape you're in, I mean, how long are you going to be able to fight everything in that current? Right? And for, and for the long haul. And even if you do, even if you're fighting, what do you realize in not too long? You're fighting it, but you're still what? You're still moving in that direction. And so you, they have decided they are holding on to the core of who they are as Jewish men and that they are holding on to the covenant of God because that is what is going to get them through all the other things. And God gave them great intelligence. It says he gave them intelligence, so they are astute. I personally believe they had a confidence that came out of knowing who they are. And they had each other. How important are those things? Right? God gave them an intelligence. I've seen young people like this. Have you? Have you ever interviewed them or spoken to them? They have this astuteness, this God-given ability to learn uh, intelligence. They also have a confidence. Why? They know who they are. They know whose they are. And they typically have a, a community that empowers them. And they are exceptional. They stand up, they rise up, and they got his attention. And when they were brought before the king... He spoke to them, and no one compared to David, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. His first impression, he was blown away. Why is this going to be important later? Because later on, he's not going to need to interrupt and get a meeting with the king because everybody's life is at stake. And I think it's really important that the king would have remembered who he was. To say yes. But did you notice that they use the Hebrew names in this chapter? Yep. What are the names? The Lord is my judge. The Lord is gracious. Who is like he is. The Lord is my helper. This is the point. I feel like too often we focus on what Daniel did. Making him out to be the hero of his own story. I don't think that's what he wants at all. He wants us to know that God is the hero. He's not laying out a blueprint to live by. He's telling us who to trust. That's why he says in verse 2, God gave. In verse 9, God gave. In verse 17, God gave. God is in control. He refused to compromise his commitment to his covenant. He didn't make a public statement. It wasn't a judgment on the culture. But he knew that the only way he could swim upstream in a culture against him was intimacy with God. The point of Daniel chapter 1 is that he is trying to comfort people in exile. And what are they seeing? It seems hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. 
Nebuchadnezzar's in charge. Babylon is in charge. How are they supposed to uh, have any influence or survive this thing? It seems hopeless, but he is reminding them to comfort them over and over again that God gave, God gave. He's in control. He's powerful. He is sovereign. I find it so interesting that the book of Daniel has been turned into a book of timelines, division, and fear. If you listen to a lot of preachers out on TV choosing Daniel, it is all, it has been turned into this whole predictor or this whole timeline of the second coming of God. And a lot of it brings a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And that's not even the point of Daniel. The whole entire book, the point of Daniel is that don't trust in what you see. It looks like it's bad, but what? I am aware. I am in control. I am powerful. What do I need from you? Trust. Remain faithful. That is what I need. The exiles feel that they are simply pawns in the hands of hostile forces. Do you ever feel like that? Oh my gosh, I do. I wrote my notes. I cannot figure out what is going on in our world. Nothing seems logical. I can tell you that. Such fear. Which is another form of captivity. Do you understand that? We are being held captive by fear. What on earth? Truth seems hard to find. Such things hidden in the dark. I kid you not, one of the ways I'm going to tell you in a little bit that the Babylonians tried to predict the future was looking at animal livers. I swear to you, I feel like every day I'm trying to connect animal, like what's going on in the world? Oh my gosh, what does the deep dark web say? What does Q say? What does this say? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with the bank system? What's going to happen with this and that? I feel like I'm sitting there trying to read livers, right? What was the point of Babylon? Babylon always wanted to predict the future. They always wanted to know what was coming. Because they were very anxious about it, right? And so that's what, are we not doing the same thing? We want to know the future. But even if we did, what power do we really have? What power do we really have? I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes I don't want to know the future. If I knew what my future held 10 years ago, I would have been laying down in a fetal position and I would have run the five years meeting up to those five years and possibly would not have been any more ready or prepared, could have been worse. I could have destroyed all kinds of stuff trying to change what I knew the future held. Is that not the original lie? Didn't Satan say, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God? Knowing good from evil? Let me ask you a question. What good is knowledge if you don't have any power to do anything about it? It was a half-truth. It was deception. We don't have the control. 
not saying don't be wise. I think they were wise in what they knew, right? But the bottom line is this. Something can change in a moment. No matter what happens, you've got the goods. Why? Because God is in control. He is all powerful. He is sovereign. He knows the past. He knows the end from the beginning. And he's got it. And we believe him and we trust him. And he will provide just as he did for Daniel in this horrible situation. God gave Jehoiakim into the hands. He's running history because that's what he does. God gave Daniel favor with his captors. God gave Daniel and his friends incredible wisdom to be able to navigate and to get in positions of influence. That's not Daniel, that's who? God. God is doing all of that. Darkness flees from him. Everything is laid bare. My mentor, Professor Proverbs, said this. I bet my chosen ones, he, he talks about this is the same kind of deal as in Job chapter 1 through 2. This whole, you know, thing with the devil, God and the devil. He said, I bet my chosen ones will trust my covenant faithfulness to care for them, to protect them, to sustain them. They will worship me even when surrounded and hounded by the props of homeland security, the uncertain future, and meager diet, and the smothering pagan education. That's what he wants. Despite it all, trust me. Why? I'm trustworthy. That's who I am. Some say Daniel is history. Others say that's too simplistic, that it's actually wisdom literature. I kind of see it as a narrative, a testimony, which is both, is it not? A narrative uses actual historical events, but shapes them into a narrative to teach and influence. Think about my story that I talked to, I think most of y'all have heard. If I go through my story of the loss of my son and the funeral and the fact God gave me, you know, words, wait, watch, and pray when I did a devotional or I sat on the, on the patio one morning and God uh, explained those words to me and we go through all that. I'm not telling you, those are actual historical events for me. But I'm not telling you to worship at your son's funeral. In other words, worship. I, the point of me telling that story is not worship in all situations or count it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials. I'm not trying to lay out a blueprint to tell you how to respond if you are in a situation that way. No, I'm telling you a historical event from my story that this is how it affected me. That somehow when I was at that funeral and I sat on the front row and they sang, I raise a hallelujah. I don't know what happened. I could feel the Holy Spirit from my toes go up all the way out the top of my hand. And when I stood up, 1,600 people stood up. That's just the facts. That's what God did in that moment. That's how he moved. And I know it would have tickled Zach to death. I'm not telling you that when I screamed at God and blamed him for everything and said, how dare you take my son? I am done with you. I am over this. I'm not telling you to scream at God. I'm not laying out a blueprint for your life. 
I'm not telling you that when you're worn out, have a quiet time and God is going to explain all kinds of things to you. No, I'm telling you my story. I'm telling you the chosen events for a reason to tell you this, that God can be trusted. That he will sustain you. That he will give you comfort. That he saved me. And that he's still saving me. I do not believe that Daniel is trying to teach us exactly how to live. Like many people teach Daniel as a moral blueprint of the things we must choose and not choose. I don't think that's the story of Daniel. I think what Daniel is trying to do is to tell you despite all the circumstance, despite everything, he's pointing you to God. Because whatever the circumstance is, God is the one in control. And we can learn from his example. 1 Corinthians 10 says that we learn from the examples of the Old Testament characters. But true faith, love, obedience, usefulness, it comes from an actual intimacy and relationship with God. Which for Daniel was tied into what he consumed. That's the point. I would love to be able to give, and, and I love it when people get into this, you an equation for how to live life, for how to impact the culture. Should we be involved with culture? Should we isolate from culture? Should we attack the culture? What should we do? beats a heck out of me. Sometimes maybe this, sometimes maybe that. But here's the thing. God is the God above all, above all culture. And I have a relationship with him. And if I stay and I endure and I stay faithful, guess what he'll do? He'll tell me in each situation. And he will cause someone to have favor on me or he will move and he will open a door and he will put me there like this weekend when someone gets sick and I'll be able to tell my story or I'll be able to influence that's how he works so we can't live an impactful Christian life and not be in the vine it won't work there's too many things going on. He is navigating history and lives. And don't you want to be useful? Don't you want to hear his voice? Don't you want to be in that spot to impact that person who impacts the next person? To change whatever needs to be changed. And you're not going to do it perfect. But that is the point of Daniel. It's not about Daniel. Chapter one, he is telling you right off the bat, here is the theme. This isn't about me. It is all about God. And I believe the rest of the book is the same as we look through it. Read chapter two this week. It is the greatest, most entertaining story ever about the image and the rock that crushes the image. Boy, has this one been used. This chapter right to create all kinds of speculation about what the future holds 
right? And we're going to look at that next week. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Lord, I'm so glad that you're in charge. I am so glad that when I get so fearful about what is going on, and I see the downward spiral happening in the empires of men, which I shouldn't be shocked, Lord. We see it in the scripture. Even in the image, the materials get worse as they go. It's going to get worse. I don't know why it shocks us so. But Lord, as we see it, and that brings fear in our heart because we're living amongst it, let us lift up our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, that stone that conquered the world. Lord, you conquered it. You're above it. You've created it. You've placed purpose in it. You will redeem it. And the crazy thing is, is you are willing to use us to be a part of it. So Lord, I pray that we would be reminded this week that you are in control. Our job is to endure and to remain faithful to you. And when we do, we will have the opportunity to testify and to be a part of the influence of the history of the period of time that you allowed each one of us to live in. How exciting, God, when we all celebrate together and we get to look back and see those little moments where you used us and we were able to change lives, cultures, the world. We sure love you. In Jesus' name, amen.